welcome everyone. It is amazing to see you. Welcome online as we've said, but I just want you to know it is such an honor today to be able to preach and talk about spiritual conflict. And I know that this is an intense message and I know we are in an intense season because every single time I sat down this week to work on the message, random unusual things happened to distract and derail me. Like, so unusual, I was like, I know exactly what is happening here. We are under spiritual conflict, and there is this feeling from the enemy that he is pushing in, but I want you to know we are resolved. We are resolved to lift high the name of Jesus, to lift high the banner, Jehovah Nissi, his banner over us, and we are so grateful that our King, that God is victorious and complete, has complete authority. And if you agree with me, say amen. Amen. So we're pushing in. Now, this is a bit of an intense message because we are, this is an intense season and it is an intense theme, spiritual conflict. Now, last week we looked at the big story of the scripture and how important it is to see the big story and not just the half story. And today, as we turn to the big sermon of Jesus, we do so highlighting the power of not only Jesus, but the power of Jesus when we come together. For there is a powerful weapon that the enemy is using. He is using individualism versus community. For he does not want us to recognize the power that when we come together collectively as a community, we are unstoppable and it's magnificent in Jesus. And we can see this in Matthew 5 when Jesus uses the example of salt. Let's read the scripture. It says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now I want you to notice the first two words. You are. This is not an individual declaration, but a collective identity. You are. We are. You are salt of the earth. I want you to say, I am salt. Write that in the chat. I am salt. We are the salt of the earth. And the enemy knows that if he can isolate us and have us move from community, we are vulnerable and easily enticed. For we were meant to live in community together. Not only for the beautiful joy and fulfillment it brings, but also for the strength and for the protection and for the potency in this world that we can make together for Jesus. Now, I want you to picture each grain of salt. Now, each grain is really important. We are salt. Each of you are significant. God has placed you in your time, in your season, in your family, in your workplace, where you are for, with a purpose and significance. You are all critical. Each one of you are a grain of salt. If we were to take Lee's and her life living significant, answering the call to live as a grain of salt. We take Anne, we take Bob, we take Alan, we take all of us together, Fran, and we start to build this pile of the grains of salt. All of us answering the call to be the salt in our world. And we add that to this world. Do you not think the effectiveness of the church is incredible together? 
It is. We need each of you answering the call to be the salt of Jesus in your world. You are significance. We need each and every one of you to make a difference in what God has in this time and this season. And that's why there's such a call to rebuild, to say yes, because we need one another, because there is a difference that God wants to make in this city, and he wants to use each of us. And you are called to that mission, because when he saved you, he called you and gave you a purpose to go out and preach the gospel. And we do that in different ways with different spiritual gifts because God has significantly called you and placed on your life an anointing and a calling for what he has for you, not compared to somebody else, for you. So I, we need you. I need you. We need one another to make change. Whether it's a grain of salt or whether it's a teaspoon of salt, its chemical properties do not change. Yet on its own, its effectiveness does. We need one another. For when it is multiplied and we come together, we are extremely powerful in Jesus. And this is what the enemy wants to distract us from. He wants to move against us coming together. Now I have this saying, the enemy always shows his hand. If you take a step back and take a moment to watch and look at a circumstance, you will quickly see and discern what the enemy is doing. And the reason why is the enemy is a defeated foe, but he does not walk with the mindset of a defeated foe. He has the arrogance to believe. He is a prince. He is a prince of pride. He has the arrogance to believe, even reading Revelation, that he's going to rewrite the story. Even as you've been saved, he has the arrogance to completely come and rewrite the identity of your life. But that has been made complete and assured through the work of the cross. But he will constantly come to work and to rewrite. He is working overtime to create division, separation, isolation, polarization, and to divide us. For when he divides us, he weakens us and destroys unity. And as the children of God coming together to make up the body of Christ, unity is the heart of God. Even Jesus prayed that, that they, we may be one as he is one. That is his heart, that we be unified together. And the enemy has a plan. Destroying our unity is his ruthless pursuit. Destroying our unity is his ruthless pursuit. It says in Matthew 12, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. The enemy is constantly trying to reduce how we make a difference in the world by removing the unity of the church, reducing the voice and influence of the church, and dulling the effectiveness of the church. The enemy, though, starts with each and every one of us. He starts with each grain of salt, and he lies to each of us. He tries to diminish the significance of our lives. To make you believe that what you're doing doesn't really matter. If you don't show up, it's not going to make a difference. Someone else will do it. That your life cannot have a profound impact. These are lies that we need to reject. 
So may you hear that call from God today speaking to your heart, that you would rise and that you would embrace all that God has called you to be in the body of Christ. And as we do, it is a brilliant shining beacon in this world. So just as salt is salt in Jesus, the enemy can't change who you are. However, he desires to make us ineffective. For salt is a powerful, preserving agent. As Jesus spoke these words in the scripture I mentioned above, you are the salt of the earth. Those that heard them at this time would have understood the power of the preservation of salt. You see, they lived in a fishing town, and preserved and curing, curing their fish would have been critical for their sustenance and livelihood. Salt would have been critical in their ability to live. In essence, Jesus tells his disciples and us today, we are agents of preserving. God has placed in us in this culture in this time, in this moment, in this slice of history to preserve the ways, the teachings, the life, the power, and the presence of Christ. We never lose our worth in Christ. Just like every grain of salt is valuable, you are valuable. But we can become worthless and diluted, overcome by the cares of the world, an offense with the church, resentfulness, bitterness, undealt heart issues. And in this way, Satan can rob your joy. He can kill your purpose, steal your contribution as the body of Christ, which you're all desperately needed for, and destroy all that God desires to do in and through your life. The world isn't to be feared, but it is to be respected. And this happens one decision at a time, one compromise at a time, one undealt heart issue at a time. The point is, it is dangerously easy for Christians to lose their salty preserving influence in the world. While many believers are pungent and salty, there are others that are virtually indistinguishable from the surrounding culture. Salt becomes worthless when the world does us more harm than we do good in the world. We need to be effective salt. Say, I am salt. <laughs> you are salt. We are salt. We were created to make a difference. And salt not only preserves, but it also flavors. Now, as I was going through this message and preparing, I started giggling because I started thinking back to a story that happened in my life years ago when I added flavor to an event. And we can add good or bad flavor wherever we go. We can honestly bring the flavor of Christ where we go. And it can, this situation was so funny. And I'm just going to share this story. When I was 16, 17 years old, I was invited to sing at this big regional banquet, and it was for WM, back in the 90s, women's ministries. Okay, so it was a big deal. And I was 16, and I was so nervous and so excited. This was my first big gig, and I couldn't wait to go. I invited a close friend of mine to come, and she's going to play the piano. And it was like a Victorian tea. They had all these fancy teacups. They had coffee in these fancy china sets, and then they had pastries and all this food on the table. And as we were sitting, and waiting for our table to be called. They called our table, and our, the ladies went up for the, the hot buffet, but my friend and I, we were just getting a little bit too nervous, so we sat behind, and we were discussing all the songs and how we were going to go about this ministry time. Well, little did I know, 
as I was just so excited and expressive, shocking, I know, my hands were going, I was just talking about what was to come up next, my 90s hairspray curly infused hair caught on fire. Yes. Caught on fire with one of the candelabras on the table. Now, quickly my friend recognized that my hair was lit on fire, came to my rescue, took care of it, but in the meantime, all my hair ash spread over all the table. And I mean, it went into coffee cups, it was in the pastries, it was on the, on the plates. Like, I was spreading some flavor, not desirable flavor. So when the ladies came back, my 40-year-old self would have been like, stop everybody, please. Don't drink your coffee. You may want to dump your cup. You might want to get a new plate. My hair ash is all over your stuff. But no, my 16-year-old self sat very quietly, totally embarrassed and humiliated and paralyzed as I watched all the women sit down, drink from their coffee cups, drink their tea, pick the buns up. Oh, my goodness. Terrible. Terrible, terrible. Well, anyways, I think even one of the ladies was like, do you smell that terrible burning smell? And I would have been like, no, no, I actually don't smell anything at all. Anyway, funny, funny story, but so true. We can, we add, we preserve, but we add flavor to our world. And God has called us to be salt. Now, salt is really enhances flavor, and it also diminishes bitterness. However, when salt is overpowered, it does not do what it was created to do. And that is, it loses the ability to influence. We were destined to be influencers. And the enemy knows this. So he is resolved to consistently attack. For he knows if we take the word of God as the word of God in truth, and we rise to be what God has destined us to be, we are an unstoppable force, an army in God that he has no power and no authority over. So how does the enemy desire to steal and to see our influence turn worthless? Or another straightforward question is, how might the enemy be trying to take you out? Well, this is the enemy's goal. We've talked about it. To not just rob, not just steal, but to go all the way to destroy. And he does not play fair in this game. When you are down, he goes for the kill. Because it is dramatic and drastic because we are in a war. A war, whether we recognize it, realize, or acknowledge it, it is happening and you are part of it. However, this war is not just on the outside. God versus Satan, angels versus demons, light versus dark. The spiritual conflict, the war is within. Spirit versus flesh. James outlines a progression of the enemy's plans in our inner spiritual conflict of flesh and spirit. It reads in James 1, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted, let's catch this, when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Trials create doubt in God. 
God does, does God love me? Is God tempting me? We doubt the character, the word, and the provision of God. It then progresses. Temptation creates desire, for our flesh is awoken. There is a philosophy that we are born good. We are not born good. We are born with the seed of sin inside of us, and we need the redemptive work of Jesus only to work inside of us. But temptation creates desire and awakens our flesh, and our flesh, our sin, is burning within us. Our own desire gives birth to sin, and then sin grows to a lone destination, which is death. This is a progression of the enemy's plans to have us respond and act out our own sinful nature. Let me simplify this with a statement from Jackie Hill Perry. You can simply believe God's word is true, or you can trust Satan's word to be true. Let me say that again. You can simply believe God's word to be true, or you can trust Satan's word to be true. There are only two kingdoms. Whose words are you going to believe? How did Jesus handle the spiritual conflict from, from within? How did he remain steadfast under trial and temptation? We have just discussed the progression of sin, and 1 John 2, 15 to 16 outlines the three areas where Jesus and we are tempted by the, by the enemy. It says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Temptation is to use power for self-driven purposes. For Satan could never do what Jesus came to do. Satan could never do what Jesus came, and that was Jesus came to serve, not to be served. Satan is consumed with his own pride and self-driven purpose, and this is the sin that he baits us with each and every time. And he baits us with this because it is in us, the desire to be our own gods. So let's unpack the temptation of the desires of the flesh. This temptation is for you to do you rather than trust God is for you. And there is a word for this temptation called hedonism. Make your life all about whatever you want in any given moment. And everywhere we look, it's celebrated on social media, in movies, in the workplace, in the culture. Make your life what you want it to be. Be a self-made woman, a self-made man. The desires of the flesh are celebrated, respected, and admired in our culture. However, we need to not forget one critical thing. We live in the opposite way. We are not called to live according to the desires of the flesh and the kingdom of this world. We are called to live according to the desires of the spirit and the kingdom of God. His way, his desire, and under his lordship. You are bought with a price. Your life is not your own. We are just passing through, and the world is not our home. 
We are to crucify, put to death the desires of the flesh daily and pick up our cross and follow Christ. The greatest in the kingdom is a servant of all. He is the potter, we are the clay. He is the master, we are the servants. He is the father, we are his children. Every good and perfect gift comes from, ag- from above, coming down from the father of heavenly lights with whom there is no changing. All is from him to give glory back to him. Our lives are not meant to be what we want them to be, but they're meant to be what he desires them to be. Jesus is a perfect example of how to withstand the attack and temptation of the desires of our flesh. And we see this when he is in the wilderness being tempted 40 days and 40 nights. He is undergoing temptation this entire time. And this is a significant trial. Think of when Eve was tempted in the garden. She couldn't even stand one line of questioning from the enemy and folded. But Jesus... He is the perfect son of God. Think of the children of Israel as they find themselves in the wilderness, but for 40 years, due to their hardness of hearts. Jesus also is in the wilderness, but he is greater as he carries the very heart of God. We're going to read about these temptations in Matthew 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. As Jesus is in the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by Satan, the temptation is rooted in hunger. For Jesus is hungry. He's been fasting. But I want us to catch this. Even though the temptation was rooted in hunger, the trial was rooted in identity. Satan is questioning, if you are the Son of God, he's questioning the identity of Jesus. Let me say that one more time. Even though the temptation is rooted in hunger, the trial is rooted in identity. Jesus answers Satan by affirming who the Father is. He is Jesus' provider. Jesus does not have to use his power to prove anything, for his Father has already declared himself to be who he is. And Jesus is looking and looking for the provision of his father, completely dependent and sustained by him. The second temptation, the desire of the eyes. We go on to read in Matthew 4. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to test. Now, this temptation, the desires of the eyes, is powerful and very tricky. Listen to this. When it suits the purpose of the enemy, he is going to misuse scripture for manipulation. 
The devil knows the scriptures, and when it suits him, he will misuse, twist scripture for manipulation, so be aware. 2 Corinthians 2 tells us not to be unaware of the enemy's schemes, and this is one of them. Satan knows the word and quotes Psalm 91.11 to Jesus. But think of the arrogance of Satan. He is quoting the word to the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. And Jesus, he knows the entire psalm. And Psalm 91, 1 to 2 says this. I love this psalm. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Now there is a word for this temptation, and it is called materialism. The desires of the eyes is about making it about your life, getting, taking, or achieving all that you see. Eve saw that the fruit was good. She was in the garden, and she saw the fruit, and she took the bait. It was a powerful trick. And once again, we see in the portion of Scripture that the enemy has raised up Jesus, brings him to the temptation, in this temptation, to the highest place, to the pinnacle of the temple. And he attempts, he attempts to manipulate and twist the purpose that Jesus would fulfill. The plan of God was to raise Jesus to the highest place. Only it would be on a cross in an act of love, not on a pinnacle of a temple in a selfish act of showing off. The antidote to this temptation, the desire of our eyes, is through sacrifice, service, and generosity. The only antidote to greed, the spirit of greed, is the obedience of generosity. We need to respond in the opposite spirit. Let's continue in Matthew. Again, the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Thirdly here, Satan is promising Jesus something he could not fulfill or deliver. He is offering to Jesus a shortcut. A shortcut to remove suffering from his life, and he is tempting Jesus with the pride of life. But I want you to notice something different in this temptation versus the other two temptations. He is no longer saying, if you are the Son of God. This temptation is very very bold. He knows Jesus is the Son of God. And now he is asking in this temptation, the very own Son of God, the only Son of God, for the affections of Jesus to be towards him, for Jesus to revolve his life and purpose around him, for Jesus to worship him. He is offering blessing without burden success without sacrifice, and he is offering a false gospel. There's a word for this temptation, and it is secularism. I want everything about my life to be all about me and my comfort. That's a stinger. Comfort. I want everything to be about me and all around me to be about comfort. This temptation is for our lives to be around our affections 
We don't want the hard, uncomfortable, sacrificial way. That's the truth. We want ease and comfort to be the gods of our own lives and in all that we have and all that we feel entitled to. However, today, hear the call of God over your life for life. His call is to welcome him as king and as God to be worshipped in all areas of our lives, no matter the cost. To welcome him in our heart, spirit, soul, mind, and body, and will. To welcome him in our families, our careers, our finances, our time. To welcome him in our purposes and desires. To welcome him as king of our lives and Lord over all. All we have, all we are, has come from him, from God. He is welcome here. Where humanity falls short, Jesus was faithful in all trials and temptations. He was faithful in trial to trust God rather than doubt. He was faithful in temptation to submit to God rather than to his own desires. He was faithful to obey the Spirit rather than the desires of the flesh. He was faithful to fulfill the perfect purpose to bring life rather than walk in sin that brings death. Jesus truly is the perfect and only Son of God, the way, the truth, and the life. So what do we do today if we've fallen prey to one or all of these trials and temptations? Let's read Hebrews 4, 15 to 16, because this is going to anchor us. This is our hope. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. I love this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Isn't that a beautiful promise? This is a promise for you to hold on to today. Like salt, you are not worthless. You are worth every drop of Christ's blood. In Jesus and in the power of confession and repentance regarding desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, we can find full forgiveness, grace, redemption, and freedom in Christ today. In spiritual conflict, we can walk in spiritual victory here so we can walk in spiritual authority out there. Now, my prayer for you today, as we allow this message just to sit and ruminate in our hearts, is found in Ephesians 3, 16 to 21. And I'm going to pray this as a prayer to close. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resource, he would empower each of you with inner strength through your spirit. So Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust in him. May your roots grow down deep into God's love and keep you strong. And may each of you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. 
Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within each of us, to accomplish infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. And if you align with that prayer, would you say amen? Amen. amen.